and 106.5 FM, Yukaipa. Here's the latest, Evan Heidrich. The world is mourning the loss of another music icon after Prince was found dead today at the age of 57. The Carver County, Minnesota Sheriff's Office says medical personnel were called to his Paisley Park studios in suburban Minneapolis and found Prince unresponsive in an elevator. They performed CPR on him but could not revive him. From New York, many are still in shock after hearing the news of his death. Sad. He was part of my youth. Very sad day today. He's definitely a legend. And Minneapolis is remembering native son Prince by lighting up the I-35W bridge in purple across the Mississippi River tonight. The Minnesota Department of Transportation announced that tribute on Twitter this afternoon. And the Minnesota Vikings are offering their thoughts and prayers to the family of Prince as the Vikings issued a statement that says Prince was an incredible representative of Minnesota who helped put Minneapolis-St. Paul on the map. And they're proud and grateful he considered himself a Vikings fan. You're listening to the latest from 24-7 News. Bernie Sanders is back on the campaign trail today after his big loss in this week's New York primary. Sanders took a day off and then headed to Pennsylvania, which holds a primary next week. More income and wealth inequality than any other major country on earth. It is worse today than since 1928. Maryland, Connecticut, Delaware, and Rhode Island also have primaries next week. Volkswagen and the Justice Department have an agreement in the diesel emissions case. A judge in San Francisco said the deal will include a buyback offer for almost half a million vehicles. The settlement will also include an environmental remediation fund and additional compensation to customers for a possible fix if regulators agree on it. The annual list of best high schools in the country is out. The number one public high school in the country, according to U.S. News and World Report, is the School for the Talented and Gifted in Dallas, Texas. Schools in Arizona, Virginia, and Texas routed out the top five. On Wall Street today, the Dow was down 114. NASDAQ dropped two. S&P lost 11. I'm Evan Heidenrich. From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm Keith Langlotz for tonight. Partly cloudy, low 53. West winds gusting as high as 25. Daytime Friday, partly sunny, warming up 78. Winds gusting as high as 25 out of the west again. Now for Friday night, a slight chance of showers. Partly cloudy, low 53. Southwest wind gusting as high as 25. Saturday, we start the weekend. Slight chance of showers. That'll be before noon. Mostly sunny, a high 80. A south wind gusting as high as 25. That's your weather forecast for this hour. From KCAA 106.5 FM at 10.50 AM, the stations that leave no listener behind. You can get paid to participate in a controlled, safe environment to study your arthritis, sleep disorders, high blood pressure, and more. But you must call now, 909-981-5321. That's 909-981-5321. Call Empire Clinical Research at 909-981-5321. If you're interested in helping advance medical research, you need to call this important phone number, a number that could invite you to participate in a paid comparison study. Are you ready for the number to Empire Clinical Research? That phone number is 981-5321. It's in the 909 area. That number again, 909-981-5321. You can help, you can make a difference, and you can get paid. But you must call this number now, 909-981-5321. You'll be helping to gather data on the forefront of clinical research. But you must call this number now, 909-981-5321. Did you get that number, 909-981-5321? Write it down and call now. Your nut and stone fruit trees have worked hard for you all season long, and now they're ready to sit back, relax, and enjoy a little downtime. Don't let peach twig borer ruin that rest. Asana XL Insecticide, now available from Vainlet USA Corporation, protects your trees from peach twig borer during dormancy and delayed dormancy, preparing them for the next season. Asana is formulated with a unique cottonseed oil that's rain fast and has excellent UV stability, even under intense sunlight. That means Asana lasts longer for outstanding extended control, rain or shine. Give your trees the break they deserve from peach twig borer with a dormant or delayed dormant application of Asana. To learn more, talk to your PCA or go to valent.com slash Asana. And while you're there, find out how Dipel Biological Insecticide delivers effective control of peach twig borer at bloom. Asana XL is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. When we set out to build the largest and most technologically advanced tractor in Kubota history, we had your operation in mind. 
That's why we focused on the hard-working details, like powerful Kubota diesel engines, smooth-shifting transmission options, a heavy-duty front axle, premium cab with the latest features, and a best-in-class Kubota front loader. Introducing the all-new M7 Series, built with you in mind. We are Kubota. This is what we do. For more local radio every day, tune into KCAA Loma Linda. You know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that drought. No water, it's all about that drought. From the mountains to the desert to the oceans to all across America and back to sunny downtown San Bernardino, where we're hoping it's going to rain on Friday, we all welcome you to the Water Zone Show with Mike and Rob. And this is KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM on the dial. And uh, as I said, I'm Rob along with Mike, who's our special irrigation man out on the town. Mike, how are you? I am doing great, Rob. It's uh, wonderful being out here. In Chino, California, at the Inland Empire Utilities Agency, Earth Day 2016. All right. How's it going out there? Well, you know, it started out a little bit slow, but all of a sudden we had Girl Scouts. We had Boy Scouts. We had classes coming in. We had retired people coming over and stopping by and looking at information that was demonstrating how to convert spray systems over to drip, how to get high-efficiency spray nozzles through freesprinklenozzles.com, which, by the way, if any of you are listening in the Inland Empire Utilities Agency service area, that's what you want to do is go to that www.freesprinklenozzles.com with your water bill in hand. You qualify for 25 free high-efficiency precision series spray nozzles from Toro. And that's that's $100 special. And, and you know, it's just watching a couple of instructional videos to learn about the product and how to install it and then going down to your local irrigation or landscape uh, distributor house, which is going to be clearly identified on that on that com website. So it's really quite, uh, quite a good thing. And it's interesting because as the kids came by, you know, we, we were giving out the um, – coloring book that was co-sponsored by the Irrigation Association in Toro to teach youngsters the importance of water, the value of water, and have some fun making some uh, coloring some pictures and solving some word puzzles. Those things went out. I ran out. Rob, can you believe that? Wow. And we had thousands of them made. Yeah, so it's, uh, it it, it really, in fact, (laughs) I kind of kick out of it because as a grandfather, you know, I kind of look out for things that I can get for free that I can bring home to my grandson. And sure enough, there were grandparents picking up those coloring books for their grandchildren. And so <laughs> it's great getting the word out Absolutely. about the importance and the value of water and to have it starting at that young age. You know, you and I have talked about the need for this water ethic to be so basic to our understanding of what's important. And, you know, I think doing these kinds of activities helps us accomplish that goal. Oh, absolutely. And you can also tell our audience there's also a special going on with IEUA about smart irrigation controllers. Yes. You know, one thing that uh, water agencies are coming to realize that by working with a trained, professional, licensed contractor and having them do the installation of a smart controller at a residential home, for the homeowner who has attended a basic training program is really a much better approach to saving water than just giving away 
controllers to homeowners because that's a challenge to install the, uh, the new smart controller, to learn how to program it, to learn how it works. And having that contractor go out, having the water agency identify the high water users and then helping them reduce their water footprint by giving them technology that keeps the, the, the sprinkler system off in the rain for 48 hours after that rainfall because, you know, Rob, that's a state law today. Yep. It, you could be fined up to $500 if your water agency decided it want to pursue that action if your sprinklers are operating within 48 hours of a rain event. So IEUA, through their leadership, are investing to get several hundred controllers per year over the next three years installed in those residential sites that can best use the technology to reduce their water usage and keep their landscape looking good. And even better, it's free. So people should take it, people should take advantage of that. It's, it's a good thing. So uh, Absolutely. how long is the event going on till tonight over there? Well, you know, it goes on till 7. They've got some food trucks out here. Um, so if you're in the neighborhood, the kids will love it. They've got a uh, wetlands, uh, kind of a pathway through wetlands. They've got demonstration sites. They have uh, participants that are demonstrating different technologies, different plant material. You get some free plants. You pick up free mulch. If you want some mulch for your garden, the Inland Empire Utilities Agency at the corner of Kimball and El Prado Road in Chino is where you should come pick up your free mulch. Yeah. Well, there's another event going on tomorrow that I'm going to be doing, and it's that time of year again when Western Municipal Water District invites all of you to Earth Day uh, with them on uh, their ninth annual Earth Night in the Garden event, which is tomorrow on uh, April 22nd. And the event's going to be at 450 East Alessandro Boulevard in Riverside, and it's open to the public from 3 to 7, almost like yours is. The event is free. Again, another free event, so bring your family and friends. Come learn about water uh, use efficiency from real water experts and some cool-looking solar boats that are built by local high school students for you to look at. And they can be part of the hourly ladybug releases. And the kids can personally meet Mother Nature and Pam the Ladybug, who we know personally, and she's a really nice lady. Uh, There's lots of activities for the whole family, including special craft exhibits, science experiments, it's alive, and water models and even creepy crawler critters for the kids, like snakes and bugs. Anyway, kids can even get their face painted all for free. So Western Municipal Water District hopes that everybody can make it, go to celebrate Earth Night in the Garden with them, and have a great time. So if you can't make it there by 7 tonight... Where Mike is, come over tomorrow, and you can meet us, and uh, we can answer questions and tell you the latest in technologies that's available for you. So a lot going on this month because it's Earth, Earth Month, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, also exciting, we have a, 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 a neat guest. Let me get out the phone numbers just as well for everybody. If you're calling in locally to speak to us, it's 909-888-5222. If it's long distance outside of the 909 area, Please dial 888-909-1050. And Mike and I caught up with a gentleman who's the CEO of a company called IDE Technologies. And they're the ones who designed and built and maintained the desalination plant in Carlsbad for the San Diego area. And it's a very interesting company. And um, Mike and I learned a lot of stuff that we didn't even know. And we think we know a lot. But this guy was pretty intuitive to telling us uh, about about desal plants and what they've done. So we want to bring... Mr. Mark Lambert on the show. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Um, Can you tell us a little about IDE Technologies, their history, what it stands for, and give us a little, our customers and and visitors, a little uh, uh, information about your background? Certainly. IDE is currently celebrating its 50th year in existence. It's an Israeli company, as I'm sure your, your audience knows. Uh, IDE stands for Israeli Desalination Engineering. Uh, it was founded on the principle that we would like to learn how to or find technologies and be able to uh, exploit the sea to produce uh, fresh drinking water, safe drinking water, not necessarily for the state of Israel, but from a global perspective. So 50 years ago, this was um, 
an initiative that was put forth by the Israeli government and was funded as, I won't say an R&D project, but as a development program. And um, obviously it's been very successful during our 50-year history. We've done some 400 desalination plants of both types. We can talk about those in a bit. in about 40 countries, including some of the very, very largest desalination plants on the planet. Wow. That's pretty amazing when you think about this little tiny country in the Middle East uh, uh, that is kind of fairly independent uh, given given uh, the surrounding uh, uh, countries to be able to invest from its uh, GDP into this kind of technology for the future. What what um, what, do you, what would you say inspired that perspective or that that valuing of of uh, availability of, of drinking water for the future? It's a great question and it's an incredible story and and probably uh, much more history in there than than meets the eye. But if we just go back a short ten year period ago, uh, about a decade ago, Israel was in a very very severe drought. Uh, very similar to what we are in the southwest here of the United States, and particularly California, and had developed this know-how and capability and embarked on a program to essentially become water independent, not ever have to rely on any sort of imported water and kind of be in control of their own water supply, if you will. And over the last decade, there have been four significant-sized desalination plants that have been built in Israel. Um, three of them are currently owned and operated by IDE, and one is owned and operated by the National Water Company. But what, what resulted was through desalination alone, uh, the country of Israel, the state of Israel, has been able to uh, produce about 70% of all the drinking water comes from desalination. And what's even more surprising is that they recycle 85% of all uh, wastewater. So collectively between the two, a very large component of desalination and a very large component of recycling and reuse of water, there virtually are water independent. Sometimes people, if you get into a conversation, people will say, I don't care if it rains again in the state of Israel. I'm sure the farmers probably might not agree with that, but uh, but that is amazing uh, history of of, – you know, investing in resources, especially when you look at other countries within that region and where, you know, I, I can't think, even in the U.S., we don't have that kind of technological base for desalinization. We, we don't. Yeah. yeah. So the, the other, well, there's just a little side note. You mentioned agriculture, but on the agriculture side, you know, there are, again, enough, and maybe the other focus of, of your question, and maybe we, we should we should definitely highlight, is that Israel is a country of innovation. There, everything that's done there is very innovative, very forward-thinking, very progressive, um, and very aggressive, I should say, in terms of getting things close to market and ready for market. So whether it's IT technology or communications technology or medical technology, and certainly in the water sector, you know, they've been very um, expert, let's say. I, I like to say a lot that, you know, uh, Israel didn't invent desalination, but they've perfected it. And so the rollout of all these water resource, water use, water measurement, measurement, monitoring, and metering technologies, you know, from the state of Israel is incredible. It's 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 uh, touched everywhere on the planet. Um, it's it's very very broad reach. It incorporates lots of different ways to think about policy, technology the integration of technology into society, uh, and it touches everything, you know, from agriculture to, you know, very, very high-use uh, water. And we just haven't gotten there here in the United States. The, the mindset historically here has been that water is free or essentially free. And I speak a lot about the price of water and the value of water, that if we would ever get to a situation where we priced water according to its value, we probably wouldn't have the gap that we're trying to uh, resolve here these last few years with the drought in California and in the foreseeable future. Well, I know the the average daily consumption per capita in Israel is slightly over 26 gallons a day compared to what you see around the world and even in the United States. Well, I mean, we, we in California back in 2005 
the baseline uh, per capita consumption was uh, at 192 gallons per day per person. And, right. Uh, we, we after this twenty almost almost reaching twenty five percent reduction in the uh, twenty fifteen uh, rain year, uh, we actually at least by the accounting methods used by the state of California reduced that per capita consumption down to uh, down by twenty three point seven or nine percent I think almost twenty four percent, but we're still uh, hovering around that hundred gallons per day uh, per person. So that's a huge. Uh, Still a huge difference, and and we we think we're pretty progressive. Uh, like in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, I think they're down to about uh, you know 55 gallons per day per person, and uh, so wow, 26. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is incredible, but you do have to give credit for the reduction. I mean, I I, I talk about the San Diego County Water Authority, which is where the Carlsbad Diesel Plant is in the center of that. The San Diego County Water Authority had had a great what I always I, I quote them a lot about their vision and their their um what's the word I'm looking for? They 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 put together this concept of water portfolio, a balanced water portfolio, which has multiple moving parts inside of it, but one of the things clearly is is uh conservation and most of the member agencies in Southern California have done exactly as you say, they've reduced their water consumption by 25% or more, and that's a pretty dramatic thing for people here in Southern California to be able to do. But the other pieces of the pie of the portfolio include recycling, reuse of water. We currently, in the U.S. in general, only recycle about 5% of all of our water, as I believe you probably know. Um, and, you know, the goal is to increase that to some reasonable number. The city of San Diego has a goal to get to 30% recycle, but I think it's 2025. Uh, and then the third component of this is the uh, development of new water resources. And it doesn't take, if you live in Southern California, it doesn't take long to look around and see that there are no, no new places for us to build a dam. And even if we did, it's not going to rain to fill up the dam. So what is meant by new development of new water resources, you must, you know, take a look at the Pacific Ocean. And the Pacific Ocean is right here off of our coastline. And so desalination became a significant part of the strategic portfolio for the San Diego County Water Authority, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago when they started to contemplate this. And so it's a pretty interesting way to look at, you know, the water pie, if you will, that, you know, you have all the different parts. And a lot of people will say, well, we should focus on recycling and reuse. And the answer is yes. And we should focus on conservation. And the answer is yes. And we should look at desalination. And the answer is yes. And it's all the above. We have to, we have to continue to change you know, adopt all the technologies that are available and change the behaviors in order to get to, if we, if the goal is to get to water independence, there's many different pieces of the mechanism that have to move you forward to get there. There's a, I know the process for San Diego Carlsbad facility was almost 17 years plus, but is, is that typical in other countries or just U.S. has lots of regulations and you have to go through a whole red tape to, to get these things on track? Yeah, really good question, and it's probably a little unfair to burden the project with the 17 years. It is true, but at first it was contemplated by the city of Carlsbad, California, wanted to host the desalination plant and, you know, thought about the mechanisms of how it could put together a 50 million gallon a day desal plant. This goes way back to the 17 or 18 years or so ago. Over time, it became apparent that the water need was countywide and that it might make more sense for one of the water agencies to host the desalination plant. And so the San Diego County Water Authority stepped up sort of in the middle of the process. And then simultaneously, uh, we really didn't have any track record or history here in the U.S. of any significant size desalination plants with the exception of Tampa Bay, but there really wasn't any uh, it really wasn't deployed as widely as it has been in other countries. And so it took – and, of course, we picked the state of California to do it first in, which is, you know, kind of a regulatory-driven uh, mindset and a tough place to do business in in the first place. And so, um, you know, there, there, a lot of permitting, a lot of discussion, a lot of open forums with public outreach, um, citizens, communities, multiple water purchase agreements that had to be negotiated if the San Diego County Water Authority was going to host the plant and the member agencies had to agree to buy the water. Um, 
And finally, about just four years ago now, uh, it seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't, the construction started, and it was a only a 33-month construction timetable. And the plant uh, began producing water in December of 2015, so about four or five months ago now, and it's fully operational as we speak. Oh, I've got to ask, is, does IDE operate that desal plant in Carlsbad, or is it, have they just yes. trained the operators? Yes, we do. So the role of IDE is, and maybe we dive in a little bit into this particular project. The project itself was developed by Poseidon Resources. They were the, um, they were the host, if you will, or the owner of the project, and they, uh, the first step in their process, if you will, was to uh, secure the land that's co-located next to the power plant. And we can come back to that in a moment. So under the Poseidon umbrella agreement with a tentative water purchase agreement in place with the Water Authority, Poseidon was able to execute two different forms of contracts. One was the engineering procurement and construction phase, and the other was the O&M phase. IDE's role is is in both. We we played the role of the engineer in the procurement process for all of the process equipment. And then uh, we, we partnered with a company called Kiewit, who constructed the plant. And then now that the plant's constructed, IDE now enters into its agreement with Poseidon to operate the plant for 30 years. So long-winded way of answering your question, but we operate the plant for 30 years. It's IDE employees uh, based on our experience of as I mentioned, all the 400 desalination plants that we've operated around the globe. So we brought all that expertise here to bear on the Carlsbad desalination plant. I, I understand it brought like a million and a half hours of work to Carlsbad, Vista, San Marcos, all those areas, supported like 2,500 jobs and infused about $350 million to the economy. So That's, um, the, that's the data that is public, and, I, and that data is true, and it's up on the website on the Poseidon. So it's been a very economically beneficial project. Now, it represents about 10% of the water supply for San Diego County. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a significant portion, which, again, is uninterruptible, and it's drought-proof. And, you know, we're just I'm, – I'm working with some other cities in the state at the moment, and they're looking at what their state water project allocation of water is going to be. And on average, I would say that most cities up and down the central coast or – even into Southern California, are getting on the order of 15 to 25 percent of their requested allocation, meaning they're not getting 75 or 85 percent of what they need. Um, and so, you know, they're they're looking for alternative sources of water supply. And so, again, go back to San Diego County's leadership here to be able to say that we can we can get a piece of that uh, supply chain to be uninterruptible and and drop resilient is is pretty striking. Now, I'm, I'm going to put my hat on as a Joe uh, consumer or just the average person thinking, oh, my goodness, no, the one uh, challenge with desal plants is that they increase significantly the heat of the shore, you know, shore water. And mm -hmm. I'm sure over the last 20, 30 years, there's been quite uh, – uh, you know, a lot of advancements, technologically speaking, to to uh, perhaps address that issue. Can you comment on on that concern that you know maybe those that aren't very knowledgeable about really where the technology is today? How, how could you educate those folks? Sure, there's there's really no heat added to the process. It is a well, there's so there's two types of desalination. What is here in Carlsbad is a technology called reverse osmosis. It's a simple pretreatment process that uh, moves uh, seawater through a multimedia-type filtration methodology. It's uh, sand and, and gravel and anthracite pre-filters, typical of any surface water treatment plant. Then the water goes through the reverse osmosis process where the salt is removed. And as part of that process, um, uh, that's pressure-driven, so pumps drive the power, if you will, to push the water through the membranes. And, th and then there's a simple repotabilization process. We add some minerals back to the water, primarily to support the distribution network. And so 
to the point about the heat, this, this particular plant and many plants around the world are co-located next to a power plant. So there's an NRG power plant here that is uh, close by the sea, and the power plant uses seawater for cooling. And so if you looked at an aerial view and your listeners could Google the calls that desal plant, there would be an aerial view of the lagoon and the power plant, and you could see where the intake line is where they take in cooling water on a daily basis. In fact, about 300 million gallons a day of seawater pass through this uh, power plant for cooling. On the discharge side of that cooling, we take uh, a portion of that water and bring it a little ways away, right next door adjacent to the power plant is the desal plant. So we bring that water into the desal plant, desalinate the water, and put the brine, the the salty byproduct of the RO process, back into that cooling water loop. No increase in temperature, um, and the and there is a little bit of a salinity increase, but that gets diluted immediately with the very very large volumes of water that are traveling through the desal plant or through the through the power plant, I should say. Wow. That, I don't know if that I don't know if that answered your question, but I guess yeah, yeah, I guess no, what I'm going there is. I, I did not realize, nor do I think most uh, of our listeners or consumers realize that that adjacency to a power plant using the discharge water from the cooling of the power plant was used as input to uh, yeah. the desal. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty smart. Now, and I have, have, yeah. uh, has IDE been contacted uh, by any other coastal communi- communities in California now that uh, – information about the Carlsbad plant. Uh, yeah. uh, in fact, uh, we in November of last year, we were successful in being awarded the Santa Barbara desalination project. That's quite a unique project, different than Carlsbad. It's unique in that it uh, it's a reactivation of an old desalination plant that they put there in the early 90s and then mothballed it and now are in a drought condition and need the water badly. And so they put out a public procurement process to identify a partner to reactivate, uh, we'll call it rebuild it. So we are in the process of doing that, and this is a very, very aggressive uh, timetable, if you will. It was awarded last year in sort of August, September time, or maybe October time, and the project will be completed and producing water by November of this year, so about a 13-month time frame. Um, again, it's significantly smaller, but it's pretty. It's a pretty impressive uh, schedule. Uh, we're on schedule, I should say. We're obviously more than halfway through the project, and we'll be delivering water at, as needed. And the uniqueness of this particular plant is that they um, they wanted to have the ability to expand the plant over time. So we're using what we call a modular solution where we put a certain amount of water. Three, it turns out to be 3,000 acre feet a year of water capability today. Uh, and then they have the option to expand that up to 7,000 or 10,000 acre feet over time. And so, um, and to answer your question about others, uh, there was, there is a project in the works up in Monterey County. Uh, the Monterey Bay Desalination Project, which is hosted by American Water. That project is moving forward. Uh, the uh, Huntington Beach Project is, is in planning stage and about to go for its Coastal Commission hearing uh, and get a Coastal Commission permit. That, that would be a plant of similar size to Carlsbad. Uh, and that, you know, I'm not, I, I don't quote a time frame for it because I'm not sure exactly how that will lay out and phase out. But, and then there are a handful of other communities up and down the coast, small and large, that are contemplating desalination as a portion of their water supply portfolio. A, a, a lot of people, you know, when they hear the word desal plant, they, they jump on a bandwagon about energy use and mm-hmm. how, how these things are never efficient or carbon neutral. And you guys have brought a lot of success to that area, both in the SORAC and, and your others, but also the one in, in, in Carlsbad. Can you tell our listeners a little about that? Yes. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier that in the reverse osmosis process, the water is, I'll call it, pushed through the membrane using high-pressure pumps. And the, the water that is pushed through the membranes uh, goes to the drinking water side, and the water that remains behind the membrane still has that energy in it. And over about a decade or so, there's been 
uh, developed and perfected again an energy recovery system. It's called a pressure exchanger. What happens is it takes that high-pressure salt stream and mixes it or blends it, if you will, uh, with the incoming seawater and exchanges the pressure from one side to the other. So you've recaptured uh, almost all. It's 97% efficient, actually. It's a pretty interesting device. And no, um, the only it's not, there's no uh, power supply to these energy exchanges. It's just the pressure of the water, and there's an impeller inside, and it exchanges the, the uh, pressure from the high-pressure side of the brine to the low-pressure side of the incoming seawater. Now, if you do a mass balance around this whole thing, you would um, learn that this is only applied to 50% of the water because it's it's the brine that is being discharged back to the ocean that has this pressure in it. So you're effectively transferring the power to, to uh, the incoming brine, 50% of it. That makes sense. And so, but a decade ago um, and more, uh, longer than that, the the specific energy consumption of of uh, reverse osmosis, pressure-driven membrane systems, has come down by about half um, over a decade. And you can imagine that, you know, it will continue to come down. Now, there's a theoretical limit of pressure required to push salt water across a membrane. So we do many, many things at a plant like Carlsbad or Solrec in Israel, which you mentioned, which is the largest and most efficient desalination plant on the planet. It produces about 170 million gallons a day of water, and it's taken advantage of some interesting innovations, both in terms of membrane configuration and uh, energy recovery configuration and energy utilization. Uh, so there's lots to be done. There's lots going forward, but the efficiencies are improving. So, yes, it's energy intensive, but to put it in perspective, uh, it's about, uh, let's call it 12 kilowatt hours per thousand gallons of water produced. So if electricity is seven cents a kilowatt hour, it's about a dollar a thousand gallons of water, which relatively speaking to other source waters, other available waters that you could purchase from either Metropolitan Water District or others is it's not a significant differential. And that will come down over time and so, you know, I mean it's 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 relative I I I've uh shown a slide before at conferences where the amount of water, we talked about the amount of water that's consumed by a family of four at the beginning of the, of the radio program, and the desalinated water being supplied to your house is the, the energy utilization is about the equivalent of running your refrigerator. Wow, that's pretty impressive. i got to say, if I was a junior or senior in high school and I'd heard your information shared here today, you know, I'd say, well, what kind of you know, what should I major in in college? Uh, what kind of people do you hire? What kind of technically competent people do a company like IDE hire? Can you kind of share that a little bit? It's a great question, and don't let me forget to talk about particularly San Diego and Southern California. We look for uh, the plant itself is staffed by an operations staff. So uh, we've recently, you know, a year ago or so when we were getting ready to start beginning the commissioning process, we started staffing the entire plant. The skill sets in there range from uh, some people have military backgrounds, and they'll come to a facility and they basically have a, a general mechanical understanding of how things work. Those type of people work really well. Um, it, you can have had experience in water and wastewater from either a municipality and so some of those uh, disciplines on the operations side, I mean, it's, it's, it's math and science and technology. Uh, generally speaking, when you're working around fabrication, production facilities, on the uh, selling side of the equation, if you will, we tend to look for people who typically they're civil engineers who get involved in the design and construction of a project. So we, we like to have civil engineers that speak the language with our consulting engineering, uh, uh, you know, cohorts, if you will, or water authorities in general, usually ends up being somewhat of a technical discussion. Um, we hire finance people, so people who have uh, background in finance, and maybe from that they, you know, took some accounting classes. I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward maybe from high school to junior college or to college. But so it's, it's the gamut. We need, you know, we, we hire people, so we need human resources expertise. We are a marketing company, so we need marketing capabilities. 
Um, information gathering is very, very important for all water treatment processes, but certainly in the desalination plant, we live off of the information that's collected out on the site. So IT skills, um, general people skills, this is a people business at the end of the day where we're constantly interfacing with each other on a team. You're working on a team uh, to get something done. You're working with customers. You're working with stakeholders. You're involved in the community. So it's it's, it's, it's everything. It crosses the whole gamut. Um, what the listeners might be in, intrigued to know is that the reverse osmosis process itself was invented here in Southern California. The very first drop of water that ever came out of a of a reverse osmosis membrane was done at UCLA. And this was back in the 60s, and it was funded in part by our federal government. And really interesting to have been in the field for me in the, thir- in the water industry for 30 years, that now here we are finally 30 years later where desalination has been deployed globally. There must be six, there's 16,000 and something desalination plants all around the world. And here we are with the first significant size one here in California where the technology was invented. It's kind of a big complete circle uh, back to the beginning, if you will, for all of us who have been in the industry here. And there's a significant uh, number of companies that are headquartered here in Southern California that, that are involved in this space. So there's lots of jobs here. I know, I know you're familiar with a gentleman named Seth Siegel. And yes, he's I am. The author, he's the author of the book, Let There Be Water, and we've had him on the show as well and been to several events with him. But in your, in your opinion, because I know, I, I know your background of the places you've been with U.S. Filter and, you know, and all that, when do you think the people in the U.S. are really going to get it like they did in Israel? Because, I mean, there's such a difference in mentality of when people use water here versus there or some other places. It, you know, to me, people turn the water on here, it's not a big deal. They just turn it on and it's here and it works, and they don't think yeah. about it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think about this every day. I get asked about it every day. I've been on panels with stuff, and these, this book is very eye-opening and very enlightening. And one of the things that um, I learned and I didn't know this before reading the book and then talking more, is one of the policy decisions that the state of Israel made is that the state of Israel is all the water. They made that policy decision or more ago that they would own all the water and could therefore set a single price for water of its various forms. Now, if you transfer that to a state like California, where I think I heard quoted that there are 4,500 uh, water agencies, both small and large, all with their own independent uh, concept of how things should work in their local area and with water rights history that goes way, way back, which sets a whole spectrum of what water pricing looks like. You know, I, I think there's there's a huge uh, gap that needs to be built there. And as I said earlier, the whole concept of the price of water versus the value of water is being talked about more. I talk about it a lot when I'm out speaking in, in with stakeholders that if you, you know, you, you can you can go and look up how much water it takes to make all the goods and services that we do, whether it's agriculture or manufactured products or cars or food sources, et cetera. Um, and if you start to think about, well, how much water went into that and therefore what should I pay for the value of that water to better equate to the value of the product or service, I think, we, you know, that's the mindset that has to change. And I think it is changing. I wouldn't say that it isn't. Um, but you're right. I mean, I get up in the morning, I, uh, you know, I turn on my cap, I brush my teeth, I turn it off now while I'm brushing. Uh, we're pretty water conservative uh, mindset in our house, and I'm sure almost everybody is. Everybody I talk to now generally is aware of what's going on. So are we ever going to get to how Israel has done it? I don't know. But getting there piece by piece and learning the lessons of places like Israel and Singapore, by the way, who uh, recycles the majority of their water, um, San Diego Pure program is on an aggressive goal to recycle and reuse water. So, you know, it, it's happening. Um, I like to say we live in the water age now, and it's all about water and the water energy nexus, but it takes water to make goods and services, and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be uh, going to be serious problems without it. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and talk with us, and I'm sure our listeners now know a whole lot more about what's happening down there. I know in you and I know a lot. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I was amazed when you said there were 16,000 diesel plants. Well, that, I never knew that. That's incredible. 
I appreciate the time tonight, and I hope that your if your listeners have questions, I'm sure they can funnel them back to you, or maybe we can do this again. Okay. And if they want to go to your website to learn more about your company, how do they do that? My website is uh, www.idetech.com. Excellent. Um, and there are plenty of uh, online resources to learn about desalination generally, the companies that are involved and the mechanisms that are used to put the processes in place. So I would encourage an eager listener to do lots of background research. And, of course, they'll come across IDE, but it isn't just about IDE. It's about the evolution of an industry looking for desalination as to be one of our one of our bullets in our toolkit, let's say. Well, yeah. I just want to ask one quick last question. That is, now that the uh, Carlsbad plant is operational and people see it and understand more about the uh, the way it's been able to effectively produce water, do you think other cities in California, when they do make a decision to invest in, in desal technology, that there will be fewer um, lawsuits and it'll be easier or, or less uh, cumbersome to get all the approvals that are necessary, or do you think it's going to be a, the same fight over and over? This again? is California. Yeah. I think it becomes easier. I really do. Uh, the You know, you have to have had the demonstration or the proof, if you will, or, you know, the fact that desalination plant here in Carlsbad. I'm looking across the street at it, by the way. I'm sitting here in my office and looking across the street at the facility. So here it is. It's a it's a it's a piece of constructed plant. It takes water in, it produces safe, clean drinking water out. Um there are public uh uh tours that can be you can sign up for a public tour on Poseidon's website in fact. And so you can come and see it. And my my point is is once you touch and feel it and you taste the water and you see that it's uh, a regular part of our community and the water authority is very thankful for it and it didn't hasn't rained any time recently and doesn't look like it's going to rain any time soon, I think it becomes um, sort of a, a, certain, a, a certain type of option that municipalities and small or large cities up and down the California coast can now look to and, and say they're not the guinea pigs, so to speak. I mean, it's not that this was because the technology was so proven globally. We just bought know-how from elsewhere and perfected it here. So, yes, I think to answer your question, there still are the regular permitting requirements that have to take place. There's drinking water permits. We have to comply with all the state drinking water regulations. And so that process is very thorough and, and very well um, laid out and very well understood now. And so, you know, you'll still have to go through the permitting process, but I don't see – you know, this uh, fuzzy black hole that people call desal and it's a bad thing. I don't see this happening because you, if you're curious, you can drive down the 5 freeway and come to San Diego and see the thing. Right. Well, again, we appreciate you coming along the show and sharing your insights with us. And uh, thank, thanks again, Mark. Yeah, you're welcome. You thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a little break, and uh, we'll be back to the Water Zone with Mike and Rob on KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. Stand by for our next person, which is the DIY Sprinkler Guy. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy-to-understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician. 
Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state-recognized, and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free 866-614-1755 and on the web at irrigatortech.com. Hey, we're back to the Water Zone with Mike and Rob on KCA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. And we have, it's time for our DIY sprinkler guy, Richard Daigle. Hey, how are you guys doing today? There we go. Got his mic on now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can hear you, but nobody else can. Mike, can you hear him? Oops, I think Mike's gone. But anyway, hi, Richard. Hey, how are you guys hey. doing today? We're doing good. Wow. Hey, well, I'm still here. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, I brought a little product today. It's a very simple product. And if you can see inside, if you're watching it on video, uh, it's a little flush cross. It's uh, made by a little company called Valvet. And what's nice is it's very reasonably priced. And I have a Toro 570 here, and I can screw it right Which in. It's a spray head for people who don't yeah. know what that is. So it's a spray head. And so if you have a spray head in your house, around your yard, and you say, hey, you know what, I need to flush the system, check my nozzles. And when I do check my nozzles and change them, uh, I need to be able to put something on, flush it, and then put it back on my plant material. You don't want to flush it and have it go down the curb or anything like that or go over the sidewalk. You want to flush it, run the hose, and put it back in the plant in the planter area. So it's really nice. You can see it here. It's very simple to use. It screws right into the male part or female part on one side so it has a little screwdriver it has a little adjustable tool to flush out the irrigation mike knows uh this product as well absolutely and it's uh you know i'm uh sometimes get surprised at how you know it's just not a standard item in every toolbox for maintenance and repair sprinkler folks because you know i, I, I you got to know what your operating pressure is uh, at the head if you really want to fine-tune the system for optimal efficiency. And you should let the listeners know that from the first head to the last head online, you should be plus or minus 10%. Yes, absolutely. The pressure, yep. And it has a little spot on the side that you can put a hose on, which in turn means you can put a little pressure gauge. So you can pick these up, you know, at any irrigation distributor, put a pressure gauge on it, and when you are checking out your nozzles, you want to make sure that you have at least 30 PSI, really no more than that, so you can keep the misting down on the sprinkler head itself. And, and you know, sometimes um, it's real handy to have that tool because when you go out on a site, you might find Toro heads, you might find rainbird heads, you might find hunter heads, you might find some weathermatic heads, and no matter which of those heads you find, that flushing cross will let you access the pop-up stem and do your measurements and do your flushing. Yes, absolutely. I used it in a class uh, on Tuesday. We did an audit over in the Corona area uh, for a large place where there's Lowe's, and it's called Renko. And um, when we were going from station to station, there were like 17 heads, sprinkler heads, on the lawn, and nine of them were clogged. And so we were able to just twist this on and be able to turn it off, turn it on, flush out all the stuff, tap the nozzle down, clean the nozzle, make sure that it worked, turn it off and on with our remote, and then fine-tune the system with a, a screwdriver on top and then the little uh, angle valve on the, the top there. So I'm showing it up right now. So you can always go to the channel and check it out and uh, see the product. And it's available at any of your Site 1s, Ewing, uh, most of your standard uh, turf distributors. Now Richard, do you have a, also on a YouTube for, for what you do for Irrigator Tech? Yes, we do have it on our YouTube, which is Green Industry News, and you can uh, go there. 
and then check it out. And then as well, if you're as a consumer and you want to check this out and you say, hey, this is about uh, $10, $12 to have one, and it's really nice to have at your house and be able to adjust everything, especially on the shrub bodies. So um, you can go to any distributor and get one, very reasonably priced. If you go to, uh, there's a company called Sprinkler Warehouse, Irrigation Warehouse, and if you just go online and say that you've heard about it on this show, that they'll give you a $25 credit on their account, and you could get one of these for free. So that means that you've heard about it by listening to this channel, and that you can get one of these at no cost to you, and that you can be using this product and all your Toro product out there in the field. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's a good deal. So that's a, a great deal and really nice. So just because the head is not shooting up in the air and broken doesn't mean that it's not being efficient. So when you check it and you say, hey, you know, it's not shooting up in the air, but is the right nozzle on? Are there insects or any dirt, Teflon tape, or anything else in that? You may want to uh, use one of these little flush crosses and then check it out, and it's at your local distributor. So it works out really nice, and you'll see that it flushes it out, and you're not wasting any water at all. Well, that could be a big money saver for people. People never realize it. if they just go back. I, I, I know you guys consistently tell everybody, you know, where you can start saving money is making sure your system operates correctly. And, and the maintenance of that is, is important. Obviously, the design, the installation, but the maintenance afterwards is really, really important. Oh, absolutely. When we do audits in the field, we're checking out stuff with our students, going to projects, and uh, people let us use uh, their locations to do an audit and check it out. You need the right tools to be able to check everything. And just the smallest things, you know, nothing, you know, scientifically or anything, just clogged nozzles misadjust nozzles nozzles uh not working we had a van adjustable nozzle that was on a quarter and it just filled up and we put another catch can there in the same amount of time you could just see that the minor adjustments on that by changing it to a fixed nozzle the next time when we ran the station for 10 minutes it just tremendously made it more even from the first head to the last head well, well that's what people need yeah, you know the days—the days of just being able to let water run over the curb and down the gutter, uh, water your sidewalk, water your uh, driveway, and not worry about ever changing your sprinkler timer because water was so cheap. Those days are are really just about over, and with the focus on reducing water waste, use of uh, higher pricing on the water we buy, all of that has an impact well I, I i mike mike knows the story um richard knows the story because he was here last week when i received this frantic call from my wife about a water burst in our house in our attic yes oh wow <laughs> caused, was that something yeah forty thousand dollars worth of damage <laughs> and you know i started thursday when she came home she saw it and it was tons of water in some bedrooms and laundry room and in, in in the garage and first, you know, aside from having the plumbers come and stay there for six and a half hours and then serve pro come and do the work on the next day and they're still there today. Um, one of the things people should know, if you have a major water leak or a burst or anything like that, call your water agency and let them know because most of you are in the tiered rates. Uh, oh, building, absolutely. Building. And if you don't tell them that something happened, they'll just think you're a big water waster and they're going to jack it on your bill and you're going to pay double, triple, quadruple. And uh, so I called my uh, my city utilities and told them what happened. They said they'll put a note on that. And then I thought about it, but, you know, they had all these five humi dehumidifiers and a dozen of these powerful blowers. They've been on since Friday, and they're louder than you can believe. Wow. You can't sleep. And, and they keep breaking the circuits in my house, breaking the circuit breakers. But that's the same thing, too. You should call the utilities and say, hey, look at all the electricity you're using. You know, it's one thing in the summer if you refill your pool. They take that into account for your tiered rates. But if you got a major water break or, or or leak, anything, you really should let them know. Otherwise, you're going to be you're going to be hurting on your bill when it comes. Yes, and you and they'll normally uh, look at something like that once, maybe twice, and make sure that you know if an accident like that happens and you report it, they'll take that in consideration, knowing that it's an emergency. Good. Well, and we. When we found that water agencies, you know, bend over backwards to want to help customers, you know, they're not out there to be uh, uh, punitive. They want to help 
each one of us uh, be more efficient with water. So I think, Rob, you've done the right thing, and you're going to avoid those uh, frightening bills that might have happened had you not called the water agency. Right. Well, hopefully – they're going to watch that note when it comes in. Anyway, we're just about running out of time. I want to tell you everybody who our next guest is for next week. It's a gentleman named Andy Lipkiss. He's the president and CEO of an organization called the Tree People. And they're a pretty big organization in California. And he's going to talk about trees and the importance of that and how, how, how water is important to that. So uh, you can join us next week for that. So, again, appreciate everybody listening in on the Water Zone. And uh, we'll all see you next week. Mike, you have a great time. You're going to be wrapping up. And don't forget people tomorrow at the Western Municipal Water District uh, for their Earth Night at the Garden event. And uh, have a nice weekend. And I yes. hope it rains Friday. Thank or you Friday all. Friday night after our event. Thank you for listening. <laughs>